Good morning, Trinity Church. How you doing? Good to get to be with you today. My name is Jackson. Uh, man, it's so fun to get to be here with you as a guest today, get to see how you guys are doing. Uh, I feel like I haven't been able to be back here in a little bit now, and so it's just so fun to get to be back with you guys. I'll give you a little life update on me and my wife, uh, Sky. We're loving life in the high desert, uh, not because the high desert's a beautiful place, but we get to come and visit Redlands all the time, and we get to go to Orange County where Sky's family's at. Uh, but no, seriously, we just wrapped up a year at High Desert Church, and we are so loving it. Uh, I'm getting to do a role where I'm split between leading our online campus and leading our young adults program, and so I'm loving getting to be in both of those spaces. Sky continues to teach. She's got a cool remote job that she's teaching uh, homeschool families and helping them out, so it's been awesome. And our uh, English bulldog, Huxley, he just turned two, so he's doing well, okay? So uh, good things all the way around. And man, we're so just thankful to get to live in Southern California now for even things like this, that we get to come and hang out with you on a Sunday where my dad's preaching uh, at a church here locally. Uh, so man, just so fun to get to partner with you and be here today as we wrap up this Death to Life series. Today in our Death to Life series, uh, Death and Life series, we're going to be looking at the end of John chapter 12. Uh, and so that's where we're going to be if you want to flip there in your Bibles. It's starting in verse 37 is where we're going to be. Um, and as we get into this, as I was studying the passage this week, it really, um, this passage started to make me think about my favorite group of people to like study. You know, like how you, how you like to people watch sometimes, but there's like certain people that are really interesting to people watch. My ultimate favorite group of people to people watch is happy old people. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. Like there's just something so like, refreshing about it. It catches you off guard because you're like, how? Like, how are you not jaded as, as you've gone through life? Like, how are you just so, like, happy-go-lucky and, like, you still just enjoy? We had a couple at this church uh, that I worked at in Northern California. Their names were Gay and Maynard, and Gay lived up to her name. She was just super excited all the time, uh, super happy. And uh, and Gay and Maynard, they were, like, the best, man. They They were these greeters at the welcome doors, and so Maynard would stand outside, Gay would stand inside the sanctuary and have the doors open, and she'd greet you as you came in, and uh, man, they were so excited to greet people and to say hi. They just thought it was like this really holy and exciting task to them, and so they, they'd bring people in with just such joy, and then any time that I was speaking, mind you, I'm like 19 and 20 when I'm working here at this church, and any time that I'm getting up to speak, they would be the first people to come up to me afterwards and be like, man, we we learned so much, and I'm like, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> like, I, I've got like a quarter of your life experience, and they're like, we learned so much. It was so good, and sometimes they would say, it was such a great reminder of X, Y, or Z, and then, man, every single Sunday, they say, how can we be praying for you this week? This is how we were praying for you last week, and I just looked at them, and I was like, man, I just want to study these people. Because what you and I both know is like, that's super rare. Like, it's hard to go through life and to end up that soft at the end of it and that final stretch, to still be so willing to learn, to still be so excited to pray for people, to partner with them, to not be so jaded by the struggles and the tribulations of this world. And so the reason that you probably study them just as much as I do is because we want to be like them. We want to grow up to be like them, right? I want to be like you when I grow up. 
And what we're going to look at in our passage today, I think, gives you and I a key uh, to how we can stay soft, to how we can stay moldable and teachable. Because uh, what John is going to do is he's going to contrast a group of people who choose uh, death and then he's going to contrast those people to Jesus and his example. So we're going to start out on a bit of a bummer note as we see these, this group of people that chooses death. Uh, but then what we'll see is Jesus is kind of the perfect contrast to this. And he's a perfect model for you and I in how to keep our hearts soft. Check this out. This is what it says, and starting in verse 37, it says, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. We'll pause there at verse 37. Uh, Jesus, in chapter 11, had just raised Lazarus from death to life, right? And this is like the biggest moment in John's gospel. John has, uh, he's writing to a Jewish audience, okay? So as John is writing to a Jewish audience, he's putting some things in there to be helpful to them uh, as he's compelling them to put their faith in Jesus. Because what happened is their temple got destroyed, and John saw this as the perfect opportunity to say, like, that's like the whole point, though. Like, it's not about the temple anymore. Like, it's about Jesus. And so he's trying to redirect this group of ancient Jews from this temple worship where it's been destroyed, and they're like, what are we going to do now? And he's redirecting them towards Jesus. And he's showing them how Jesus is a better temple. Jesus is a better relationship with God. Jesus is the only thing that works. And as he's doing that, he has uh, sevens repeat throughout his gospel because in uh, the Old Testament, seven is this kind of number of fulfillment. It's this number of completion, right? There's seven days of creation, and then it's good, it's done, right? And so uh, what he does is he has seven I am statements and seven signs in, in his gospel that he writes. And raising Lazarus, Lazarus from death to life, that's actually the seventh sign in John's gospel, signaling to us that that is the full and complete display of Jesus's power, right? So this is it. That's like the climactic moment. So that's just happened a chapter ago, and now we're getting to people who have not put their faith in Jesus still. We're getting to Jewish leaders who have not put their faith in Jesus still, even though in John's eyes, they have not just seen some of his power, but they have seen the completeness of his power, and they still don't put their faith in him. So this is what happens now as John goes to quote Isaiah in verse 38. He says, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. This is from a section of Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about the suffering servant, this Messiah who's going to come and he's going to suffer and he's going to be rejected by God's people. And it's a really tricky passage for us to get into because, which I'm thinking that's probably why my dad's not here, is he was just <laughs> running from this passage. Um, don't tell him I said that. I know you're going to. Um, no. But it's a tricky passage because what, what's complicated about it is we, we have this verbiage given to us of God hardening these people's hearts. And John is using this as he's saying, Isaiah is prophetically saying that these Jewish leaders, their hearts would be hardened. And so what we have to do is we have to go back to Isaiah. We have to understand Isaiah's backdrop. 
Isaiah's backdrop and his understanding is going to be deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And who is famously, who famously has their heart hardened in the Old Testament? It's Pharaoh, right? And so what does Pharaoh, what does Pharaoh get? Pharaoh gets a ton of opportunities, a ton of opportunities, right? There's 10 different plagues, and Moses keeps coming back to him after everyone, and he's like, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, no, let the people go. Pharaoh says, no, right? You know the song, let the people go. Pharaoh says, no. That's how it goes over and over and over again. And so Pharaoh gets all these opportunities, and eventually he just says no enough times that his heart is hardened. You see, I've got there in your notes for you that hardened hearts are the result of repeated unbelief. Hardened hearts are the result of repeated unbelief. We can look at that and say, like, man, like, is God keeping people from himself? No, no, no. It's the repeated unbelief of people that are, that are keeping them from God, that are keeping them from, their, from being involved in his plans and purposes. And, man, what a perfect, what a perfect tie-in for John in this quotation of Isaiah as he's just said in chapter 11 that they have seen now the fullness of Jesus' power And so that's not just one sign, that's seven signs, right? So they've seen it repeatedly, and as they have continued to see Jesus' power on display, they have continuously chosen to not believe in him. And so their hearts have become hardened. And then you're like, oh, man, well, if their hearts are hardened, like, that's really going to mess up God's plans, right? No. Um, It just doesn't work like that. It actually works, uh, they work in favor of God's plan. Check this out in verse 42. It says, yet at the same time, Many, even among the leaders, believed in him. So even among these Jewish leaders, many of them were believing in Jesus. But because the Pharisees, uh, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. So there's a, there's a couple of believers among these Jewish leaders that are scattered in there. But they're scared of what it's going to mean for them to say it, to own it, that they believe that Jesus is who he says he is, which is the nature of being a Christian, to just believe that Jesus is right about everything. And they they are coming to believe this, but they don't want to say it because they know that there's going to be ramifications for them. And so what does that mean? That only people with hardened hearts are speaking, right? Only people with hardened hearts are speaking in the Jewish leadership, which means that as their hearts have become, now that we're at the seventh sign and their hearts have become increasingly hardened, well, now we're at a point that they're going to start considering things that probably in their own rational mind before they wouldn't have considered, but now they're like, oh man, I think we got to put this guy to death, right? That's where the hardened hearts, as the hardened hearts are the only ones that are speaking, that's the result that we get. And you can actually see that uh, a spiritual death takes place for them, but it, it doesn't just stop there. So look, look here in your notes. Uh, death is the result of hardened hearts. Death is the result of hardened hearts. So when repeated unbelief happens, death happens. Um, and a spiritual death, for sure, for these religious leaders, but it doesn't stop at a spiritual death, because if you go back again to Isaiah's context and you remember... Uh, the, the, the plagues, right? You get to the 10th plague and you have the death of the firstborn son, right? So it's not, just, uh, it's not just that there's a spiritual death occurring for these people with hardened hearts, but actually that this makes way for a death of a firstborn son. That's there in your notes too, the death of the firstborn son. And in that story, if you can remember back to, uh, back to that, Pharaoh has said no and no and no again and again and again. And it's ultimately the death of his own son that brings him to a point that he allows God's people to become freed from slavery. And they walk into all of the promises that God has for them. They walk into freedom. 
And check this out, the hardened hearts that now John is seeing happen in these believers, these, or these Pharisees, these people who aren't believers, who have this repeated pattern of unbelief in their life, those hardened hearts, they lead to a death as well, not of the firstborn son, but of the only son, of the only son. And so John sees this really beautiful parallel between Isaiah and, and what is happening right now before him in his gospel. As, and, and what he's trying to do, remember, because these are, these are Jews, that uh, one thing that they have to kind of come to terms with that he's writing to, these people that he's writing to, one thing that he's trying to help them come to terms with is that their leaders got it wrong, that their leaders' hearts were hardened. And that didn't stop God's plans, but he, they need to kind of be able to see this. And so he's trying to play it out for them that, like, these leaders, they got to see the fullness of God's power. The ones who believed, they stayed silent. And then it was only hardened hearts in the room speaking, and that led to death, not just for them, but death for Jesus, and that actually led to life for us. That led to freedom for us. And so we see this kind of hardened heart path, and then what John's going to do is he's going to contrast Jesus' response now here in the next passage. He's going to contrast them to these people with hardened hearts. In verse 44, it says, then Jesus cried out. You kind of get this pan over. You're looking at the leaders, and then the camera just pans right back over to Jesus. And Jesus cries out. He says, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus says, whoever looks at me, whoever comes to me, they're not coming to me, they're not looking at me because it's not about me. They're looking at the Father. They're seeing what he's about. They're not seeing what I'm about, they're seeing what he's about. When they interact with me, they're gonna see what he's up to, not what I'm up to. They're gonna hear what he's saying, not what I'm saying. Because whoever comes to me isn't coming to me, they're coming to the Father. And see, this example that Jesus is gonna set for us is that Jesus knows his role. It's in your notes as well. Jesus knows his role. You see, there's almost this kind of really crazy contrast between these people with hardened hearts, these Jewish leaders, and Jesus. These Jewish leaders, they so desperately did not want to lose status quo, right? There was a, there was a status quo that was there, that they got to be in authority, that they kind of had. They built out their own role in the religious system of the day, and they had like... They got to do what they wanted. They, they had, like, authority. People looked at them with respect. And so when Jesus comes around and all of a sudden status quo could get disrupted, all of a sudden they don't get to be the ones in charge, well, now their hearts are going to be hardened because they want it to be about them. And that generally is the driving factor behind hardened hearts is this unwillingness for things to change, this unwillingness to lose things in my life. You look at Pharaoh's example again, right? This unwillingness to lose this, uh, this army of slaves that he had created, right? That were helping him build things. And similarly, these Pharisees later who are in just the same way unwilling to lose things in their life. And Jesus, on the other hand, he's like, dude, I don't even care. It's not about me. It's not about me. I'm not this, like, I am pointing people to the Father. I'm not here to draw attention to myself. I'm not here to receive glory for myself. I'm here to point people to the Father. And he becomes this model, this, like, role model that is so different from 
what we're seeing in these people with hardened hearts, these religious leaders with hardened hearts, as they are so desperately clinging to what they can't, they, they never had in the first place. They're so desperately trying to hold on to the way that things were when they were in charge. And Jesus is like, man, I'm not here for me. I'm here for the Father. And then what does he say at the very end of what we just read? I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. See, he didn't just come to represent the Father, but he came to go get people in darkness. So what are the Pharisees all about? They're all about themselves, man. That's what, that's what they're all about. That's what gets them going. They're all about themselves. That's why their hearts have become hardened, because they're all about themselves. What's Jesus about? He's all about God's kingdom. He's all about going to get people who are in darkness. That's what Jesus is all about. That's a stark contrast that John is drawing for us. And check out how clearly Jesus knows his role. He knows his role down to the literal season of time that he's in. This is what he says in verse 47. He says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge. For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them in the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is what the Father has told me to say. Jesus so knows his role, he's not running ahead of the Father. Like, he's not trying to get out in front of him. He says something that comes off to us, maybe you might even cringe when he says it because of this kind of movement that has grown in uh, Christianity that Jesus doesn't judge anybody for anything, and so everything's acceptable, right? And so he says, like, I'm not here to judge. I came to save the world. And you read that, and you're like, man, that could get taken out of context really easily, right? It makes you cringe a little bit. Like, why'd you say that? Like, you, like that's not how it works, you know? And you kind of feel that welling up within you. But Jesus knows his role so clearly, he's not running ahead of the Father. Look at the tension that he lives in. I, I'm not here to judge, but that doesn't mean that there's no judgment. That's just not my job. Like, what an example for you and me. I'm here to save. That's, I know my role. That's what Jesus is about. He's like, I'm not here to judge. It's not because there's no judgment. It's because that's just not my job. And so Jesus is like, I'm just going to keep being about my job. And one day, it's coming. And Jesus has such faith in that. He has such confidence in that. He's not tripping about that. He says, one day it's coming. But right now, it's not that time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick to my role. I'm going to understand my job. And man, what an example for you and me. I, when I think about this through the perspective of trying to keep a soft heart, trying to be like gay and Maynard, happy at the end of it, rejoicing with people at the end of it. Man, I think one of the ways that you and I can keep from being jaded by our world is living in our role, living in the job that's been given to us. I have this in your notes. The key to keeping a soft heart is knowing your role. The key to keeping a soft heart is knowing your role. You see, I, I think what happens for us sometimes 
is we have a propensity to want to operate like the creator instead of the created. That we want to run out ahead of the Father because we think we know better. That we want to go find more complicated things because the basic, simple Christianity we accepted at the beginning isn't good enough anymore and we want more. We want a bigger job. When quite simply, the job that has been given to you is to be rooted in Jesus and reaching your world. You hear it all the time. And when you hear it all the time, you might be prone to think, oh, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's just, it's just a silly little job. No, it's your role. And man, I think one of the ways that these people that I admire, who have stayed so soft and so joyful, I think the way that they do that is they stick to their role. Because what were Gay and Maynard doing? Holding the door, right? They weren't too cool to hold the door. And I'm the one who was up on stage with a microphone and they're out there holding the door and they're doing a better job living out their faith than I am. Just because they knew their role. And they lived in it peacefully. And so, man, when I think about for you and me, how do we stay soft? I think it's in knowing our role, not running ahead of the Father. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you so much. This morning, we just reflect on the fact that you are near to us, that you are here with us. We don't deserve your presence, your nearness. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the way that you have stepped into each of our stories, the way that you have continually chased after us. Lord, you are so good, so mighty, so powerful. And Lord, we want to better submit to the role that you've given us. We want to trust you in the way that we live our lives. We become so prone to want to run out ahead of what you're doing. Lord, we pray that you would slow us down in faith, in confidence, in the role that you have given us. Lord, that you would teach us to run in it gracefully, confidently, trusting that you are in control. We love you so much. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.